Go ahead and turn to, uh, to Matthew 7. This is our last week in the teaching series that we've been going through called Climb. Believe it or not, this will be the 20th week of going through the Sermon on the Mount. Can you believe it? 20 weeks. And this will be actually be the last night that we'll be going through this. And uh, 20 weeks, 20 weeks going through this one sermon. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but if you actually just read this, and I didn't do it, I should have, just to test my theory. But if you were just to read the Sermon on the Mount, just read through it, it would take like what, 15 minutes? Maybe 10 at the most, okay? And so one thing to consider is that Jesus probably talked for more than about 15 minutes, 20 minutes. He probably talked for more than an hour. In fact, he probably talked multiple hours because when he went up that hill to begin teaching those who were following him to a crowd that size, you know he had in his heart to teach more than about 15 minutes. Amen? He had more than 15 minutes worth to say, and it's because that he was wanting to introduce a religious people, and I'm sure the non-religious people that were there following and listening too, to not just God, but God the Father. And he was wanting to awaken their hearts to a whole new way of walking with God, serving God, um, religion, however you want to however you want to present that, he was wanting to awaken their hearts to something new. And so he sets out and he begins teaching. And um, I thought about, because it is so short, and you know that he did preach longer than this, what we might be reading, this is just speculation, but what we might be reading is simply Matthew's sermon notes. Can you imagine Matthew over in the corner, Jesus preaching, he's like, oh man, that's good, that's good. But he could only write so fast, right? So what we're reading may just be his notes. But think about this. Even if it was just Matthew's highlights of Jesus' powerful sermons, because think about it, Jesus may have spent 30 minutes on each one of the Beatitudes. I mean, he could have preached two hours on the Lord's Prayer. We don't know. This is what we've got. But even if this was just his cliff notes, the notes that, or whatever that Matthew took, think about how rich these words are. Because for a couple of thousand years, these words have been transforming people's lives. So whether this was the whole thing or whether these are just Matthew's note, Matthew's notes, either way, these words are very rich. The point is super clear. What Jesus was saying, his message is understandable. And here's his message in short. You want to follow God. You'd like to go to heaven. And that's great. But I'm telling you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. He used that phrase literally one time, and then much of what he said was indicating the same thing over and over and over. And we've linked this whole series back to Psalm 24, verse 1, where it says, and most of us are familiar with this. If you're visiting, I'm going to go ahead and quote it. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, and doesn't lift his soul up to idols. And that's what he, when he walked up that hill, he was, I believe, doing in the physical what he hoped that his followers would do in the spiritual, to ascend or climb the holy hill of the Lord, to stand in his holy place, which is another way of saying to walk in the power and the presence of the Lord. That's what he was after. And so he, he just got after it. He began teaching and teaching. And so what I want to do, we've, again, this is week. 20, and we're going to wrap it up because we have some really neat stuff coming up for this fall, and we're going to begin. Uh, let me just say this. I don't know if Marvin talked about this, but next week for all the teaching time, and we may even shorten the worship time just a, just a tad because all of our mission trips, all of our team members are going to come back, and we're going to start hearing stories of what happened while they were in Haiti and while they were in Germany, while they were in Peru. 
And uh, I think Kat's back. She was in Greece. So, or is she back yet? She's going to be back. So we're going to hear a lot, a lot of the stuff. And listen, I've already heard some neat things. It's, it's pretty cool. So a lot of people came to the Lord. So we're going to, that next week, that's what's going to be. And then after that, um, we're going to start some new stuff. I'll be letting you know. Just keep your eyes open, all right? So what we're going to do to wrap this up, because we really do need to wrap it up. 20 weeks is a long time. Is I'm going to go through this, and we're going to hit some of this stuff quickly. Um, and that's going to be fine, because a lot of it is somewhat of a recap anyway. And then I'm going to focus on one little section in particular and, uh, and bring up a few specific things. Okay, so go ahead and turn there, Matthew 7. And I'm going to read 1 through 5. The title over this section of, of Matthew 7 is Judging Others. All right, you following? Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, everybody say standard of measure. Standard. I just want to make sure you're engaged. By your standard of measure, uh, measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Man, I'm guilty of that. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. Some amens were louder than others. We can have a support group. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Okay, so he's obviously talking about judging. And did you notice what he called those who are judgmental? Those who judge? He called them hypocrites. The same thing that he called the Pharisees. Remember, over and over and over, he called the Pharisees Pharisees hypocrites. And what we've learned over the last 20 weeks is that the Pharisees really wanted to be seen as spiritual They really wanted to be looked up to as pious and and religious and high and mighty. And so we all know that the best way to feel more spiritual, to feel more high and mighty, is to judge everybody else around you. (laughs) Right? Isn't that true? That's like the eternal truth. You want to feel better about yourself? Put someone else down. You want to feel better about yourself? Judge someone else and where they're at. And so that's why we go around thinking the worst of someone That's why we will talk about people. That's why we will judge someone's entire life by a few bad choices. That's why we will will, um, judge the intent of someone's heart, judge someone's motives, what they might have been thinking, what they might have been. We'll judge their actions. We'll judge what they do and, and, and presume why they do it without actually putting ourselves in their shoes. You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, I'm, I'm sure that they were... Well, did you put yourself in their shoes? What would you have done? You probably would have done the same, so get the speck or the log out of your own eye. And that's what we do. Why do we do that? So that we can feel better about ourselves. I mean, it's kind of an age-old truth, and we forget what Jesus said. By our standard of measurement, by our standard of pouring out judgment, that same measure will be put upon us. You guys hear what I'm saying? Uh, there's some rabbis in Jesus' day that believe that God had two measurements of judgment. Okay? One was um, the measurement of justice. In other words, someone's going to get what they deserved. You know what I mean? A couple of weeks ago, I remember I said, um, that's what you get. You remember that? Okay, you weren't here. All right. So one standard of measurement. These are a bunch of rabbis. Literally, during the days of Jesus, they felt like God had two measurements of, of judgment. And one was judging through justice or measurements of justice. And the other one was measurements of mercy. In other words, not getting what you do deserve. 
So justice, getting what you do, uh, getting what you deserve. Mercy, not getting what you do deserve. So let me ask you, which one would you choose? I mean, which one do you hope will be poured out upon yourself, measured uh, uh, on to you? Come on, let me hear you. Exactly. We would be fools to think any other way. And that's why we have to be generous with loving people, generous with forgiving people, generous, uh, generous with doing good things for people and, and, and uh, engaging them in, in good ways and in godly ways. Jesus said that earlier in the, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, early, actually in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So obviously, he's, he's kind of coming back to the same sort of thing. Now look what he says next. So he talks about discern, uh, judging. Then look what he says next. It's this real snippet. It's like, what? what? Where does that come from? Right in the middle of that, he says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Like, whoa, okay, judgment. And then, what are you talking about? And my wife and I and Amy High were talking about this slightly last night about what that means, and it's really a picture of discernment. Okay, don't, don't give what is holy to dogs or don't give your pearls to pigs, to swines. In other words, here's what he's saying. Don't be judgmental, but don't throw out all discernment either. Don't be judgmental, but you also need to be discerning enough to discern what is real, right, and true. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus is saying this, not me. When it says what is holy, and, and then what it, when he says pearls, that's symbolic of instruction. It's symbolic of correction. Really what it is is a picture of accountability. Holding someone that says they are this to that. Okay? So a pearl would be saying, hey, man, um, you know, you're Christian, and yet I see you... Um, robbing banks or whatever. You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> he's saying, if you're going to do that, make sure you're not doing that, giving what is holy, giving that pearl to a dog or to a pig. And what he's saying when he says that is it's symbolic of a prideful, hypocritical, pharisaical person who will not listen. It's the same idea as in Proverbs chapter 9. I, I quote this all the time. It says, he who corrects a scoffer, this is verses 7 through 12, if you need to reference that. I don't have anything on the PowerPoint tonight. Proverbs 9, 7 through 12 says, he who corrects a scoffer gets dishonored for himself. And he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase his learning. I want to read the message version because this is kind of more where I quote it from. I, I love this. This helps it make a little more sense. If you reason with an arrogant cynic, you'll get slapped in the face. Confront bad behavior and get kicked in the shins. So don't waste your time on a scoffer. All you'll get for your pains is abuse. But if you correct those who care about life, that, uh, that's different. They'll love you for it. Save your breath for the wise. They'll be, they'll be wiser for it. So I, the way I quote that is from the message, and I, I just shorten it. I say, don't let the scoffers kick you in the shin. There's times where you got to have discernment, and there is a fine line between judgment and discernment, isn't there? Most of you who have maybe a, a spiritual gift of, of discernment or, or you, you ask God to show, you know, that's something Solomon asked for. Give me wisdom and discernment that I may govern this great people. Some of you have, who walk in a high um, level of discernment, it's very difficult not to just flat out be judgmental, isn't it? 
It's because there's a fine line. And Jesus is, is making that distinction. Hey, there's judgmentalism, but there, you can't throw away discernment. It's a fine line, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will know what that line is. You'll know which way to operate. And so I was thinking about this, and I thought about the difficult thing about walking in large measures of mercy is that we often get kicked in the shins. And what Jesus is saying is there are times where you can keep your instruction, you can keep your correction, you can keep your accountability to yourself because the person won't receive it. In fact, they may even retaliate against you. And that's sad, isn't it? It's sad that a believer who professes Christ would throw off um, wisdom, godly counsel. But it happens. And then look what he goes into in verse 7. This over my heading is is prayer. He had already talked about prayer, but he covers it again. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, in other words, up against the holiness of God... Who we are is basically evil. So you, not being God, not being holy, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven, who, by the way, is holy, and that's the picture he's trying to paint, what, um, give what is good to those who ask him? And so he's talking about prayer again. And again, Jesus already taught on prayer. A few weeks ago, we went through the, the Lord's Prayer. We talked about that. And, uh, but he's coming back to it again. And this time he emphasizes asking, he emphasizes seeking, and he uh, emphasizes knocking. I don't have time to go into a bunch of of things on that, but I do want to say real quickly um, just the the main preface uh, point of that. And that is asking is a picture of praying with confidence. When you pray, when you ask, do it with confidence. Confidence of what? Confidence that what I'm asking for, there's no way that I could provide it for myself. I, I just can't do it. I am confident that I am having to come before you because I am confident that I can't provide this for myself, really, probably no matter what it is. But I'm also confident, and here's the, here's the big point, I'm confident that you can, that God can. I'm asking in confidence. You know, it's like when James said, you have not, in, in what is it, James 4? James 4, you do not have because you don't ask. Okay? So we don't ask why. Maybe we're lacking confidence that God actually can and will do what it is that we're asking. If you're not confident, guess what you won't do? Ask. It's like if I went to, um, you know, Nation's Bank tomorrow morning, and I said, well, I couldn't do it tomorrow morning, but if I went sun- Monday morning, and I said, here's the deal. I need $8,000. Could you give it to me? I'm pretty confident that they're not going to give it to me, right? So what do I not do Monday morning? I'm not going to ask. But God's not that way. God, whatever it is, you know, it's like we were, we were praying for people and, and their need for jobs and all that stuff. We ask because we know he can do it. We're confident, okay? When he says seek, he's saying when you ask, do it with humility, the same humility Christ had when he prayed, and that is not my will but thy will, your will be done. When we pray, we are praying according to his will. We're not praying for ridiculous things. Lord, I pray that you will give me this red Ferrari with an Alpine stereo system so I can, you know, I'm not, that's ridiculous. That, you know, how do you know that that's God's will? Now, when we pray for someone's salvation or when we pray for someone's provision through a job, we know those are things that God has for us and wants for us so we can pray that. 
but we pray at humility, with humility. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And the last thing he says, and by the way, in James 4 he says, you have not because you, have not because you ask not. And then he actually goes on to say, you ask, or in other words, when you do ask, you don't receive. And here's why. Because you ask with wrong motives. In other words, you're not asking with humility. You're asking with your will be done mentality versus my will be done mentality. And so there it is right there. So Jesus, last thing he talks about is knocking. And to me, when he says knock, it's like um, he's talking about perseverance. Praying, um, praying until you see what it is that you're praying for come to pass. Or, and let me throw this in, or praying until that burden lifts. Okay, you got to understand, because sometimes we pray for something, we pray for something, we pray for something. We may not, even in this lifetime, see that come to pass. But let me ask you this. Did the burden lift? Did the burden for that person to come to salvation, did the burden for that provision for that, did the burden for that missionary to be able to do whatever, did that burden pass? If it didn't, you keep praying. And you can't confuse a burden lifting with doubt. Because at some point we pray, we pray, we pray, we pray, we pray. Maybe some of you have been praying for a job change or financial um, breakthrough or whatever. You've been praying, you've been praying, you've been praying, but you don't see it, and so you stop praying. Let me ask you why you stopped praying. Did you stop praying because that burden lifted? <laughs> Probably not. You might have stopped praying because now you're doubting. You don't have the confidence to ask anymore. So you pray, and you pray, and you pray. In fact, I was thinking about this around 20 years after Jesus. I read about this um, a while back, actually. Around 20 years after um, uh, you know what? That's a story for another time. Let me just say this. Um, sometimes you're going to pray. When Jesus says this, when he, when he says, ask, seek, knock, I think what he's saying right there is sometimes you're going to pray and you're going to feel like the door is closed. Because why else would he say knock and the door will be open? If the door was open, you wouldn't even have to knock, right? So why am I even having to knock here? Wouldn't God, if, if it's his will? I think what he's saying is sometimes you're going to feel like as you're praying that that door is closed. When you feel that, when you feel like the door is closed, Knock and keep on knocking. Keep on knocking. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. He tells several stories like that. You remember the one that he tells where he says there was a guy who visits, who comes to his friend's house in the middle of the night because he had some visitors or whatever. And he says, man, I need some bread. I got some guests and I need to feed them. And the guy's like, man, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. What are you doing? Go away. I'm not going to give you bread. He's like, man, I need some bread. My, my guests are hungry. And it says that the guy finally gets up, gives him some bread, and probably goes back to sleep, snores again. Well, here's what Jesus said. The person won't give the bread because he's a friend, but because of his persistence. And sometimes we have that same view of God. Well, God's God, and he loves me, and I'm his child, and so he's just going to give it to me. Listen, Jesus said something very particular. I'm not going to give it to you just because I'm God. I also want you to be persistent and, and um, um, persevering in your faith and in your prayers. So there's a whole thing that he's doing, he's doing there. Then he goes on, verse 12, uh, again, just right there in the middle of something, he talks about the golden rule. And this is really where you can start sensing Jesus is wrapping up the day. You know, it must be like around 4.45. He's got a few more things. He's got to wrap it up for dinner. 
In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Again, this is, we, we call this the golden rule. Uh, treat others the way you, would want, you yourself would want to be treated. And, but then he says, this is the law and the prophets. He says that. Okay? One thing that you need to know is that this rule or this law or this idea didn't originate with Jesus. The, the, not even just the Jewish culture, the Hebrew culture for years, but even other cultures had this same idea. But when they communicated it, they communicated it, from a ne- communicated it from a negative standpoint. They would say, you should not do to your neighbor what you would not want him to do to you. You guys see how that's more of a negative kind of slant on that? You should not do to your neighbor what you would not want them to do to you. And this is the story I was going to tell. About 20 years after Jesus died, there was a, um, there was a, a rabbi, his name was Hillel, Okay, and he was challenged by this Gentile, uh, an un, uh, not even a Jew, not just an unbeliever, but not even a Jew. He was challenged by a Gentile to explain all the law and the prophets in the amount of time that he could stand on one leg. So the Gentile was going to stand here on one leg, and he was going to um, and, and challenged Hillel to you sum up all the law and the prophets, you Jewish guy, to um, do that before the. He cratered down, okay? And I love this. This is what he said. Hillel said this. I guess the guy was like, go, you know. And Hillel said, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. All the rest is commentary. Then he said, go and learn it. That was it. I love that. And essentially, that's the same thing Jesus is saying. This is what it's all about. This is God's heart for us. Of course, he puts the positive spin on it. Do unto others what you would want them to do unto you. In fact, the people had never heard it that way. They had only heard, don't do unto the others. And so I love it. He's communicating this whole thing, but he's doing it in a real, a real positive light. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you, uh, do unto you. That's what he's saying. Understand God's heart towards you and develop the same heart towards others. Jesus said it another way. Um, love God and love others. I mean, this, this, isn't that, and in that time, he even said, all the law and the prophets hang on those two things, loving God, loving others. All right. Now, I want you to remember something. We're going to jump into a section here that's going to be a little, little, um, little more intense, and I'm probably going to be a little more intense because I'm pretty passionate as I've been thinking and praying through it. But do you remember earlier when I said that Jesus, when he went up that hill, he basically said, I know what you want. You're here because you want God. You're here because you want eternal life. You want heaven. People will come up to him all the time. How can I get eternal life? Religious people, non-religious people, what can I do to get, be saved? So he's answering those questions all the time. He says, I, I get that's what you want. But I'm telling you this. I'm glad that that's what you want. But unless your righteousness, because for the most part, he's talking to religious Jews who had had a, a, a code of conduct, uh, the law of Moses, the Mosaic law, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, that they were um, religiously, literally, religiously following for years and years and years. And then the Pharisees come along and adapt and even add to that law a bunch of ridiculous things that didn't even make sense, weren't even part of the law. And so they have the law of Moses that they're trying to follow, but they also have these you know, hundreds of pharisaical laws. And it was just this big religious fest that was getting nobody nowhere. And so Jesus says, I'm glad that's what you want, but I'm telling you this, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. In other words, unless your, interp- your understanding of the law goes beyond the ways that the goofy Pharisees are are interpreting it, 
And then unless you can see the value in, of living that goes beyond this superficial, ridiculous laws, like carrying your mat on the Sabbath as a way to live a life for God, you will not even enter into the kingdom of God. So he says something very, I mean, you will not get there. You will not get there if you can't change your mindset. I want you to hear that one more time before we jump into this. Look at verse 13. Here's what he says. This is like the end of the sermon, kind of like altar call time, decision time. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Okay, so Jesus has come to the, hour, to, to the end of hours of teaching. And everything that he said has, has challenged everything they understood about God. It really challenged and even rocked what we'll call their theology, their understanding of God, what they knew about God. These people were like, what? In fact, at the end, it says that when he had finished these words, the crowd were amazed at his teaching. And they were saying, this guy teaches as one having authority, not as the scribes and the Pharisees. So they recognized something different, okay? And their theology, everything they knew was being rocked. Everything that the scribes and Pharisees had been teaching them were being exposed as bogus. You guys hear what I'm saying? So this is where they are. And Jesus must have sensed, now's the time to talk about this. And he says, enter through the narrow gate. You want to go to heaven? You want to please God? You want to follow God? Here's how you do it. And he just spent hours teaching. Here's the deal. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who find it. And the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, but there are few who find it. Okay, so Jesus taught long and hard, and now he's presenting this choice. The wide gate or the narrow gate? The wide gate and the narrow gate. Now, I want to ask you a couple of questions, and, and feel free. We can be a little bit interactive to an extent. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. What is Jesus presenting to the people? I, I'm, I'm, this isn't rhetorical. I'm, I'm literally asking you. Somebody raise your hand. What is Jesus presenting to the people? He's talking about two gates, a narrow one, a wide one, one that leads to life, one that leads to destruction. What is he presenting to the, to the people? Somebody tell me. He's presenting a choice. Describe that choice. Life or death, that's a good way of saying it. Heaven or hell, life or death, heaven or hell, good or evil, easy or hard. That's right, and if you look at this, depending upon how you're wired, and especially I'm talking to us right now, okay, I'm not talking about them, I think it was very similar for them, but depending upon your, the way that you were taught, not even the way you're wired, but the way that you're taught, maybe what's been ingrained in you culturally as Christians, this could simply look like a game show where you've, you've, you've been enlightened, you, maybe you've won a certain level of something and you got this reward in front of you and you got, you can choose door one and you can get the new car or you can choose you know, door two and you can get the whatever. And so we have to be careful that we don't look at that as, um, I choose door one. I choose life. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
And it is that. But you guys, there are plenty, uh, plenty of people who say, I choose door one. Yep, that's the one I choose. That one makes more sense. The end result of that one makes more sense. I choose that one. But did you notice the key word? Enter through that door. Enter the gate. And here's the deal. I don't know that people then or people now realize what it is that we are supposed to enter Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father. Remember, he says the Father, because that's what he was trying to teach him. Not just God, God the Father. Not just God that you bow down and fear and worship, but a God that you do bow down and fear and worship, but you also have an intimate relationship with. I am the way to the Father. I am the truth. I am the life. Everything that he's saying here, destruction or life, I, I, am, I am him. So there is a truth to saying, I pick Jesus over the Pharisees. I pick Jesus over that denomination. I pick, I, we get that. But what we forget is that there is a walking through that door. And once you're through that door, what did he say is, is before us? What? A narrow path or a way. There is a direction that you go once you're through there. Now, I don't know, I, I was trying to, Think of how this plays out because the truth is, again, and according to this, it, it, this can't happen. But this is what happens. We step through that door, but somehow we make it over to that wide path. But that doesn't seem like that's possible. You hear what I'm saying? People step through that door and they either hang there, or, but, but you, there is no hanging there. We're always moving, right? My wife and I used to say that about um, relationships, dating relationships. And in, in when we were youth pastors, you know, people pair up. How y'all doing? What y'all doing? You know what I'm saying? And we'd talk to them about, you know, promiscuity and things like that. And we'd talk about how, listen, dating and our relationship like that is like being on a set of stairs. You're either going up or you're going down. Ain't nobody hangs out on one step. Does that make sense? So you're either going somewhere or you're not going somewhere. It's the same thing in our walk. We don't walk through the door and go... I think I'll just hang out here. No, there is a path to walk. There's a direction to go. And again, I couldn't figure out how this works, but that's what we do. We go through that. I choose that door. We step through it and somehow make our way back over to the other path. But there seems to be no indication that there is an option to do that. There are two options. That is to choose the wide gate and the wide path or to choose the narrow gate and the narrow path. Do you hear what I'm saying? That really presents a challenge to us and the way that we have lived at times, and the way we see people live all around us. Because we are, we are witnessing something that is not biblical and is not something that Jesus taught. Now, there are people who look at this, and there's two ways that you could twist this. There's two ways, I say twist, that sounds uh, bad. There's two ways that you could interpret this. Thank you. That there is either, because look at it, it says, enter through the narrow gate for the for gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. In other words, it could be and the way um, uh, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. So the way you, you can really see this two ways, and there are all kinds of divides in the, in the Christianity about this. Okay, are you saying that I got to jump on this path and walk that path, the straight and narrow, as long as I can, and then eventually, if I make it there, I'll get to walk through a gate that leads to heaven. You guys know the language I'm talking about? In other words, a salvation based on? That's one camp, really. 
But then you have another camp that says, no, you step through the door, and as soon as you do, the Holy Spirit fills you up, and now you're empowered to live that straight and narrow path. In fact, some of your versions actually call it the straight gate. How many of y'all said straight gate? The straight path. Okay, it's one of two camps. And maybe there's some in-between camps. But listen, and, and there's, these, there's these big theological divides on um, once saved, always saved, this saved, not saved, am I saved, should I be saved, can I be saved? It's like, oh my gosh, here's the point. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Whether you're choosing this day whom you're going to serve and begin down a path that leads to a door that I can get through, or if I step through a door and am presented with a path that leads to the (laughs) Golden Gate Bridge or whatever, isn't it the same thing? Isn't what I will find along that path the same thing? And you know, really, Matt hit on what it is. This isn't just about choosing Jesus. It's about choosing his lifestyle. Everything that he just taught. He's basically saying, now listen, I've taught you all this stuff and you are, you got to be fully aware that if you actually do the stuff that I'm talking about, you are going to be rejected. You're going to be despised. People aren't going to like you. Talk about scoffers. How about murderers? How about people that will hang you on a cross? How about people that will spit in your face? This is more than just saying, I'll take Jesus, door number one. This is stepping through and saying, it's making the decision, who am I going to trust? Who am I going to believe? Because whoever it is I trust is who I'm going to follow. Whatever it is I believe is the direction that I'm going to go. And people are mixed up. People are trying to find different ways, and I don't know why. And so it really presents this very shallow, wishy-washy, powerless Christianity. I don't know about you. I mean, I'm, I am a pastor of a church, of a great people. You are members of a church. We are in a town that is very churchy, that is very churched. And I just don't see a lot of cool God stuff happening. Stuff that you see in the Bible. Do you? You know what I mean? Some of the stuff is like, oh, man, I wish I could see that one day. And we got to go climb over to some other country to see it. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's time to step into what God's called us to see and be and do. But to do that, I'm telling you, we have better stand out. We were just talking the other day, I think maybe with, I don't remember who it was, maybe in staff meeting or something. We were talking about the difference between subculture and counterculture. You do realize there's a big difference. Jesus didn't say, and here's your choice. I would like you to become either a subculture or a counterculture. When I say subculture, what I'm telling you is, look a little bit like me, but still be a lot like the culture. You're a lot like the culture, but you have the t-shirt that says you chose me. Versus counterculture, which is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, do you realize that the path that I'm talking to is so narrow The gate that I'm talking about going through is so narrow that most people will not choose it. They're going to choose the popular demand road. And they're going to go down that. Why? Because it's easier. This 70 to 100 years that you're going to live on this earth will be easy. The problem with that is that on the other end of that 70 to 100 years, you're going to experience destruction. Or you can take this narrow path and I can assure you it's going to be hard. Because if you live and do what I've been teaching you for the past several hours for him, several weeks for us, 
you will stand out so much that people are going to think you are peculiar, weird. And what do we do to weird people? We judge them. We persecute them. We don't want to be around them. We, they're outcasts. Prophet said Jesus himself, our Savior, Messiah, would be despised and rejected. Sure enough, he was. You guys hear what I'm saying? This whole thing that Jesus is saying is not, hey, which T-shirt do you want? The blue Jesus one or the blue rock concert T-shirt? You know, he's saying this isn't about a T-shirt. This is about a life. And that's what he's calling us to. In both scenarios, whether it's do I step on the path, choose that path, and, and live the life he called me to live, and then if I do it, I'll get to walk through those pearly gates? Or the other scenario, do I walk through this gate called Jesus and choose that way, and then walk that to I meet with him? Isn't it the same scenario? Isn't it presented with, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, I choose today to walk for Jesus. Whether I'm stepping through a gate now or heading towards a gate, is it not the same path on either side of the gate? And that path is believing, is trusting him and believing in his truth. I'm going to read something real quick. I'm getting a little carried away. Look what it says in in John. This is him talking, so I can, it's it's quotable. (laughs) He says, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, okay, they chose door number one, right? If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, because remember, it comes back to what do you believe. Because what you believe dictates how you live. And you will know the truth, and he says the truth will make you free. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a couple weeks. But you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. In other words, the freedom that you loved when you heard the message... That freedom will be yours when you believe and when you put your trust in him and you believe him and you go the direction that he's called you to live. If you are a person that has stepped through that gate and somehow thought you could be like, I just got to go to the bathroom, I'll be back. And hop on this other road. It, it, you've, you've just null and voided this gate. You're basically saying that's not what I meant, Sorry. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that when we sin, when we fail, that all of a sudden we lose our salvation or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, let's, can we be a little bit more real about what we're saying we're doing? Be a little bit more intentional about following Christ. This whole thing, Jesus is basically over and over and over and over, is I'm trying to show you how to receive the reward of pleasing the Father. And I can assure you that the Father is not pleased when we head over to this path that leads away from him. Why would he be pleased? Oh, that's cool. No, he's not, it's not cool. Okay, I'm saying the same thing several different ways. <laughs> I'll, I'll stop. Here's my question to you. Who do you trust? You're here, you've heard everything I've said. Some of you have been tracking with this whole sermon series. None of these words are really mine. Let me ask you this. Who do you trust? Do you trust, it's the same thing he was presenting to his listeners that day. Do you trust Jesus and what he is saying? You've heard it said this, but I'm telling you this. You've heard it said this, I'm telling you this. Do you trust what Jesus is telling you through his word? Or are you trusting either the world 
not even jumping into religion? Trusting the world? Or are you just trusting some religious system that's denominational or this national or some sort of sational? Because it's about trusting Jesus. My other question is, is what do you believe? Who do you trust? And what do you believe? Do you believe that door number one is the better door? Do you even believe door two exists? The enemy's really trying to tear that door away, isn't he? Oh, there's not even such thing as hell. You don't even have to worry about it. Just go serve some old people. You'll be all right. Both doors are very real, and we have the choice. Why don't you stand with me?